Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode of the Puberty Prof Podcast is focusing on those beginning physical signs that many children experience when they start going through puberty. We're also going to talk about simple ways that parents and other caregivers can support their children, as well as resources they can turn to for additional support. To help me out today, I have Steph Oteri, who is the founder of Gorilla Sex Ed. And I remember when I first saw her posting some things on Facebook, I noted right away, I have to get on her newsletter. She is a positive person who just, she has this energy that when I spoke with her last summer, we just seemed to connect because her overall purpose aligns with mine of making sure that all children and youth have this positive experience about who they are. Steph O'Terry has been writing about sex for about 20 years, and she's been published in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Vice, Pacific Standard, as well as elsewhere. And she's also the author of A Dirty Word, a reported memoir about the ways in which our culture treats female sexuality like a dirty word. She also has a class that she created for Pulp Public School, which I'll ask her to talk about after she introduces a little bit about herself. So, Steph, thank you so much for being here today. Do you mind saying hi to our audience and telling us a little bit more about who you are? Sure. Hello there. I I don't know why I'm waving. You won't see me. But (laughs) yes, (laughs) I'm Steph. I can't help myself. (laughs) And as as Lori said, I've spent about 20 years now writing about sexuality, which was certainly not the plan back in the day, but it it became the path that I followed. So I've been writing about it from both a personal perspective and also as a journalist. And, And during all of those years, I've also worked with a ton of sexuality professionals in the mental health space a lot of the time, but also in education and in research. Um, at one point, I was working for ASECT, which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. I always need to say it very slowly because it's such a tongue twister. Uh, but while I was working with them, I became um, especially interested in the state of sexuality education which may or may not have had something to do with the fact that at the time I was also pregnant. So since my time with ASECT, I also, as Lori mentioned, published A Dirty Word, my memoir, and I've written extensively about the importance of comprehensive sexuality education. And then in the fall of 2020, I launched Guerrilla Sex Ed, which is an online resource for parents and other caregivers mostly who are looking for alternative sources of sex ed information, maybe because school, what they're receiving in school just isn't cutting it. So this year I'm focused on building out that site uh, and building out what it offers to parents and caregivers and maybe even 
to other educators. Who knows? We'll see. Excellent. And thank you again for being here today, Steph. Sure, of course. Like I said, you created a course for public school. Public school, yes. Would you tell us a little bit about what you did for that course? Sure. So I had been writing for Pulp previously when it was just an online magazine focused on sexuality and reproductive health, reproductive rights. So when they pivoted to start offering online classes and put out a call for um, class proposals, I thought, hey, uh, I'm, I'm working on this sex ed site. I write about sex ed all the darn time. Why don't I pitch them a class on sex positive parenting, which is really my thing. And, and they were, they were like, yay, let's do it. And (laughs) so I pre-recorded this class. I go into the state of sex ed in the United States at the, at this time, um, that bifurcated state where some people are receiving some level of sex education and others are receiving a completely different form of sex education. And I talk about why it's so important that kids are receiving comprehensive sexuality education. And then I, you know, sort of shift into what parents can be doing about that because parents should be their child's first sex educators and and their constant sex educators. So I get into how that can happen and how parents can dive into that topic with their kids, even when it's super duper awkward, which it can often be. Which is great that we're having this discussion today because we both understand the research does tell us young people want to hear from their parents and caregivers. They want to hear from us. And if you're feeling, well, I don't have these tools to do this, that's why we're having these episodes come out from the Puberty Prof podcast. One of my goals on this planet is to provide as many tools as I can for families to have these conversations, as well as help those people in the schools, the elementary school educators and the health educators to do the best we can for our young people. Now, Steph, you also have a young person because you seem to be like the perfect person to talk about these beginning changes of puberty. Would you mind telling us about how old your child is? So my child is seven years old and, you know, already asking all of the questions, mostly because I I know all the kids are asking all the questions, but I have all of the sex things all around all the time. So she's especially asking all of the questions. In which you had mentioned through email that potentially your child's beginning some changes. And those of you that are listening in, you can do some research for stages that that people refer to when children are going through puberty. It's called the Tanner stages or the sexual maturity rating. And there's literature out there to help you understand what these stages are. But Steph and I are going to talk about those first intro stages. So to jump right in, the first stage overall is one that we don't necessarily see, but it's happening. And that's the stage dealing with the brain. Somewhere typically around ages seven to 10, a child will begin this physiological change of puberty in which hormones are beginning to be released and your child's body is about to change. Now we can't see these hormones being released. 
certainly, I guess, if you wanted to go to a doctor's office to, to get hormone tests, but we're, we don't recommend necessarily doing that because that's a cost. And this is a natural process. We've gone through puberty as adults. We're, we're now adults, so we've gone through puberty. And there's a lot of different hormones that are released, including, and I'm not perfect at saying these hormones. So Steph, if you want to jump in to, yeah. to help out, <laughs> there is the gonotropin releasing hormone. And then the luteinizing hormone and the follicle stimulating hormone, and then other hormones get involved. And that includes the estrogen, progesterone, and the testosterone. And those are the main ones responsible for helping your child grow from their current body size into the adult body size in which Steph, correct me if I'm wrong. We totally recommend that even if you don't see the physical changes of your child, Again, their brain is already working, sending out hormones but anywhere beginning from seven on up. So start talking with your child about what their body will start experiencing soon. Right. I feel like that's what blindsides parents the most. And it certainly blindsided me when I, I mean, I learned a little bit later in life how early puberty can start because I started menstruating at the age of 13. So, so <laughs> when I heard that kids can start entering into puberty so young. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. My, my daughter's just about there, isn't she? You know, in my writing about sexuality, I, I've learned that a lot of the pushback against sex education is because parents just want their kids to remain kids for as long as possible. What, well, you know, whatever that, whatever that means for them. So the idea that kids can enter puberty as early as eight or nine can come as a huge shock because puberty is seen as this transition into adulthood. And, you know, technically it is during puberty, our bodies begin to change in such a way that we become capable of creating new life. And, you know, seven, eight years old seems a little bit early to start thinking about that. But yeah, the hormones, which are the the chemicals that our bodies produce, they're the, the impetus for puberty. They're, they're the reason for many of the changes that occur in our bodies during that time. So, you know, just to keep it simple during puberty, the brain creates those hormones that let say the testicles and the ovaries know that it's time to start producing sex hormones. And those sex hormones, you know, they tell the testicles to produce the sperm and they tell the ovaries to start pumping out those eggs. You know, it all starts without us even realizing it. And similarly, you know, some of these sex hormones cause, they start to cause those changes in other parts of our bodies. And um, some of them even make things start to shift psychologically as well. So all of these different changes are happening in our bodies, in our brains. And uh, oftentimes we don't really realize it until they start to become more obvious. And you just made me think that when children are going to school, when our preteens are going to school, one way that we can approach this topic is to start talking about, oh, we, we see that some students are getting taller than others. And that's part of this change that's going on with their bodies. So we can approach this topic in a very gentle way of noting things like height, noticing that voice voices might be changing with certain students and asking, you know, like, what are you noticing? And let's talk about how your body's going to start going through these changes too. It doesn't mean they're going to lose their innocence. It means that they're being prepared to know what to expect. 
Because I know for me, the height thing wasn't Mm -hmm. something that that was just a natural thing. I wasn't paying attention to it, but Mm -hmm. the whole body hair and then the the menstrual cycle, the period thing, Mm -hmm. that was something that I was really confused about. And that's when you know, that's like, that's that, that marker that people are like, oh, puberty, there it is. Or if you were told about puberty, if you weren't, then it comes as a huge shock. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just going to say that my daughter brought home a book from school the other day that was just called Emily is the shortest girl in class or something like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Emily is her name. So she was delighted. Um, and she is the shortest girl in her class. At the end, it showed that they were starting to grow and they were growing before the boys. And suddenly uh, this boy who used to make fun of Emily calling her a shrimp is now the shortest kid in class. And I'm like, you know, that wasn't in to talk about how girls start growing a little bit sooner than the boys. And that's what happens at this time of life. And I mean, I wasn't thinking that we were going to be reading a book that sort of hints at puberty, but there it was. And there's so many opportunities for it. And there's so many great books that are out there. Oh, that's such, that's so great that you brought home that book and that <laughs> this is where it's a teachable moment and we can point things out. Just like even if we're watching a TV series or something and you're noticing one of the younger characters going through growth to talk about, oh, look at, you know, they're, they're growing. And of course we have to do this balance of, we don't want people to stare at other people's bodies, yet we also know that our bodies are changing. So we have to mm-hmm. be respectful about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they, they, they all change it at different rates. And I think talking about differences in bodies, even before we start talking about the fact that bodies are changing, but just talking about how the fact that everyone's bodies are different, but everyone's bodies are also valid and normal. So I think that sort of prepares them for the fact that changes will happen. So after those hormones are being released, in which they continue to be released during this whole entire time of puberty and adolescence, we go into another stage. And this is another stage that aligns with Tanner stages and the sexual maturity rating stages. And that is when you begin to notice body changes, they begin. And Steph, do you want to start talking about what some of those changes are? So I I do want to say that even though a lot of these changes often sort of happen in in a bit of an order, they don't always. As with everything, our bodies go through things in different ways on different timelines. So if I'm saying things in a different order than than what you've observed, (laughs) that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or, or wild happening. But a lot of the times for girls... Well, for girls and boys, you start to, to notice it, notice a filling out in the body. Girls start to notice this breast development. They start to notice the nipples becoming more pronounced and then the breasts themselves filling out. In which we typically say when there's that development of the breasts, it's budding. It's like these buds are Mm. forming in the chest area. And sometimes that area can get itchy. Sometimes it can feel sore. If that happens with your child, that they can communicate with you regarding that. And if need be, if they would feel more comfortable to see like the nurse at school or your medical professional, a family professional to talk about, yeah, this is part of growing up. So that development, that filling out and the the development of pubic hair, body hair, facial hair, 
Your child might notice that, that their testicles start to become larger as their body starts to develop in these ways. They may notice that they're sweating a little bit more, that there's more body sweat. There, there starts to be a body odor that they might notice often, especially in the armpits, in the genital area, sometimes in the feet, and they may be horrified or embarrassed by this. Maybe another thing that you'll need to help out with there, um, the skin becomes more oily, your child will develop more curves perhaps, or a broadening in the body, the development of um, muscles, their voice may change, their Adam's apple may develop a little bit more. Can we go back a little bit to that body hair in which Mm -hmm. pubic hair Mm -hmm. will begin to start to grow? And that would be at the base of the penis or on the outer lips of the vulva. Mm -hmm. So the vulva is that external parts for most girls, as well as the underarm hair can potentially start growing. And do you remember that happening, Seth, for yourself? Um, I remember, here's the thing I I vaguely remember that. What I remember even more is starting to grow leg hair and having, um, and I wasn't shaving at that time. It didn't occur to me because it's not a requirement for your health and well-being. But I remember being in gym class in our little gym shorts that we had to wear and a frenemy of mine making a comment like, ew, you're not shaving your legs. Your legs are so hairy. And it was so humiliating. Yeah. It's incredible how even as children, they're sent messages about how you're supposed to do this hygiene for the body, but removing hair is a personal choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that in the year 2022, we are putting that on the table. You don't have to remove hair because another thing you had mentioned when you talked about body hair beginning to grow, you also said facial hair in which some girls can also have some facial hair. And we don't always Mm -hmm. think of that, but it happens. It's true. No, absolutely. It happens. And Despite the fact that all of these changes are completely normal, kids who are all stewing in their own self-consciousness and uh, nervousness around their changes are not often the nicest to each other when these changes occur. So as, as kids' bodies are changing, they're, they're not really given the chance to embrace those changes. They um, immediately are put on the defensive oftentimes because they are shamed by their peers for those changes that are occurring, especially if they're occurring at different rates. Right. So definitely one thing we can do is remind our children that everybody grows at their own rates. And if they are being teased or bullied, which is intentional attempting to make somebody feel poorly, teasing is those sarcastic comments we can make. Like I know for me growing up, the comment was, oh, Lori's feet are growing. Hey, I can go canoeing in her shoes. Her feet are so big. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's teasing with family members. Mm -hmm. Yet if it was meant to actually have me cry or, or have me like get angry, that goes into bullying. So we can remind children of where they can turn to that. And also remind our schools to remind children when they do these talks, this growing up talks, we need to have a healthy environment and support an environment of allowing people to be who they are. Mm. Puberty, you can't control your body changes. So (laughs) let's teach these young people early on to love their own bodies and to be Mm -hmm. appreciative of other people's bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, Steph. I think when people see the national sexuality education standards 
particularly the strand from grades three to five, there's Mm -hmm. a statement in there about body image. And when I've shown it to parents in my, the research I did for my dissertation, they're like, oh, I totally forgot about body image, you know, (laughs) that my child might be looking at their bodies and comparing. And then us as adults, we're also sending them a message about body image. And I believe (laughs) you're a huge supporter of let's not make negative comments about our bodies in front of our children. And it is so darn difficult because systemically we've internalized so much body hate. We live in a culture, a capitalist culture that benefits from us feeling self-conscious about the way we look. And that's almost impossible to avoid. So even if you are mindful about the fact that you want to impart, you know, positive body image to your kid, it could sometimes, you forget sometimes to, you know, not make those comments about your own body when you look in the mirror, which sends such a message to your kids. Because no matter how how much you smell, oh, love your body. Be comfortable in your body. All bodies are good bodies. If you're not sort of walking that talk, they're they're going to get these mixed messages from you. And it's, I mean, it's so important to at least try to be intentional about sending them positive messages about bodies and making it clear to them that no matter what's going on in their body, it's normal. It's healthy. Well, it's hopefully healthy. But, you know, things are exactly as they should be. And during puberty, uh, sometimes children will feel like their their bodies are too big and they're heavier. And if you can recall going back to your own childhood, that's a common feeling as your, your body's going through changes and that it's okay. And they can figure out ways how to express it. And I have to say, moving their bodies, whether it be through dance or some kind of sporting or hiking, whatever it is, and art. Oh, I think those are great ways to express how we feel about our bodies and to cope with our body changes. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you had a particular way how you coped with your body changing. Here's the, it's so funny because um, you mentioned the big feet and I remember my feet grew grew quite large quite quickly. There was, there was the fact that I was shamed for my leg hair. Um, At some point later in middle school, I started developing the acne. And that was a big thing for me. Um, so I mean, it was a lot and it was just a a matter of, you know, knowing this is, this is something that I have to go through, but having the parental support, having the parental support was key for me. And there, I mean, you can, as I said before, you can tell your children bodies are beautiful and that only goes so far when they're in the thick of it in school. So there are, I mean, there are practical things that parents can do for their kids who are concerned about certain changes, like the fact that kids will sweat more and emit more body odor, um, you know, make it important to them that they shower every day with soap and warm water and they begin to use deodorant. I mean, I tease my child right now, who, as I said, is still just seven and always wants to skip her shower. (laughs) I tell her I would live in the shower if I could, because it's glorious and it wakes me up, (laughs) but (laughs) she doesn't get it yet because her body isn't full on demanding it yet. 
But as she passes into puberty and starts experiencing those changes, that that's one of those shifts that's going to have to come about where you're encouraging, you know, the daily bathing and the use of the deodorant. She doesn't get it yet because she'd rather be running around like a maniac and reading books than wasting her time in the shower. And this is one of the things that we as caretakers can definitely start teaching our children as they're younger, of course, we're, we're helping them with their hygiene habits. Yet when their brains are beginning to send out these hormones, age seven, eight, nine, we do have to review hygiene habits in which changing their undergarments regularly, mm-hmm. washing one's body, including the armpit area and our genital area. And I do want to throw out there regarding the smelly underarm odor. If you're a person that doesn't want to use a deodorant and the deodorant, that's the part, that's the perfume product. Mm. It depends. It's a family thing. As long as we teach our children to wash their armpits. But I think controversy comes in with antiperspirant more Mm. than deodorant because the antiperspirant has a chemical in it, which there's some debate about it. It prevents from sweating. Uh, Why prevent sweating when it's a natural thing? So it's a personal thing, yet we do have to teach our children basic hygiene habits and then also have them start understanding how to start washing their clothing too, if they can help Mm -hmm. us out with that or even folding their clothing, because we do have to change our clothing regularly, Mm -hmm. including after phys ed class, we're sweating a lot or after sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, with the deodorant and antiperspirant, some of these things that they start to consider are optional. Of course, I mean, we can talk to them about the shaving. We can talk to them about the deodorant and antiperspirant bras. I (laughs) was just going to say that. A child with growing uh, breasts may or may not want to wear a bra. Maybe they eventually want to wear it for the sake of comfort. Maybe maybe if they play sports, it would just be helpful to have a sports bra. Um, I think for the bras, we're no longer calling them training bras. That's what I believe when you and I were younger, that's, they called them mm-hmm. these training bras. And it's like, you don't train your breasts to do anything and they're not going to roll over or lay down <laughs> or anything. I don't know why they were called that. It was more a beginning support bra. And like you said, there are sports bras that can be worn mm-hmm. and they're, they're ones because I know sometimes caregivers are challenged that they want to give their child freedom to make these choices at the same time, if they're butting in the chest area and it's very visible, like if they're wearing a tank top, you want to also make sure that that's private and we don't want other people to see that. So it's this balancing act Mm -hmm. in which a lot of us would recommend to talk with your child about, well, what kind of shirts do you prefer to wear? And there might be some more supportive tank tops Mm -hmm. to help them have the support of the budding or to have more coverage of the budding. Right. Right. Like it's not bras aren't going to help the health of your, their, your breast. It's more about the comfort. They, they hold the breast closer to the body so that they don't bounce around and you don't feel discomfort. Um, and yeah, they help with the coverage too, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the fact that nipples are seen as a scary terrible thing, but (laughs) I know, I know. But at the same time, that's why I wanted to raise this up because the other reality is we're in America. I mean, in other places there's topless beaches. It's like, people look at us, like, why do you have these issues with breasts and nipples and stuff? Yet in our culture, we sexualize our kids. I mean, 
so many people say sex ed is going to sexualize our kids before they're ready, but but our culture sexualizes our kids by demonizing things like nipples. I mean, that's the truth of it. But because these things are so demonized, we I mean, we need to be ready to provide our kids with all the options that are available to them. Can I ask, have you started having those conversations with your child? My my child is an inclusive child, as many children are. So um, I remember the first time she asked about body hair. It was at the time when um, there was no bathroom privacy. <laughs> like every time I went to the bathroom, she would sprint in there and be there just, you know, like I'm, like I'm a laser light show just sitting on the toilet. And I remember the first time she noticed my pubic hair, she um, was like, oh, my God, Ma, what what happened to you? Like it was some horrifying thing that occurred down there. (laughs) So that was when I explained pubic hair to her. But similarly, we've talked about me shaving my legs. We've talked about when she might start budding, when she might start wanting to use a bra. This past year, we were in Target and we were in the girls section and she was like, mom, why are there bras in the girls section? (laughs) I was like, well, the breasts start growing when you're young. They could start. I mean, puberty can start as early as, you know, seven, eight, nine. So at some point you're you're going to make use of this section of Target, (laughs) perhaps, because your breasts will start to grow. So because she's so willing to ask all the questions, she sort of leads me in that direction anyway. And the key is in, well, I will say that some parents were uncomfortable talking about a child's changing body or a child's growing sexuality. They may say, well, you don't need to worry about that yet. They may, they may put off their kids when they ask those questions, but I think it's so important to just, if they're asking a question, then they're ready to hear an answer. So I, I respond with, with openness and I respond with honesty. And of course I, you know, I try to keep in mind what, what she, she's really asking because sometimes we overthink what our kid is asking, but, but I try to answer her as honestly and openly as I can. Now, do you have any other comments about body changes and recommendations for those? So the the testicles and the penis will start to get larger. So in addition to thinking about bras, so during sports, especially um, your child may benefit from a jock strap and depending upon what type of sport they're engaging in, they may find an athletic cup useful. So it's, it's, it's like those things we don't think about when they're very young, but all of a sudden they become a thing that could be very useful Yeah, and they may not know about those tools because they never had to before. So yeah. just being mindful that these are things that are, that are, our kids might eventually need or benefit from. I know there's also compression shorts that have gotten more popular for, mm. for people with a penis and a scrotum that they can wear. So it creates more comfort for movement for right. sporting activities or other activities right. in their life. Similar to the, the sports bra, it just brings things closer to the body, hugs it in. So it's not quite so vulnerable. And then, the, I mean, with acne, acne was a huge thing 
for me. And I got a lot of teasing when I was young. Um, so, I mean, you can help out your kid by buying them facial cleansers or special creams, or in some cases, medication. Um, in my case, because I had severe acne, my, my parents took me to see a dermatologist. And, you know, that was a thing because I was feeling so distraught. It was a thing that was upending my life. The fact that my parents were doing this stuff for me was, was so key for me. Um, we haven't mentioned sleep. That's another thing we should mention. <laughs> Our kids are going to need nine to 10 hours of sleep at this point, healthy eating. So regarding these beginning changes and like to review earlier, I said, these hormones are going to be released by the brain. And then we're going to have these other typical beginning changes. Mm -hmm. And Steph had mentioned it too, with the development of the breasts and reproductive parts getting larger, maturing hair growth, including pubic hair and body odor, and then other things. What do you recommend parents and other caregivers can do or go to if they want to have more information on this or support for how to talk with children? Oh, I know so many fantastic educators who provide resources for parents. I mean, there, there's you, Lori. <laughs> oh, <that's so laughs> there's you. Um, some who immediately pop into my mind are, are, are folks like, Melissa Pinter Carnegie of Sex Positive Families, Salima Noon, Nadine Thornhill, mm -hmm. um, Amaze.org offers so many great animated videos that you can watch with your kids or you can have them watch without you if they would prefer that, if they would be more comfortable with that. <laughs> because I'm a book nerd, I'm always going to recommend books, um, some great ones. A, a newish one, it's called Puberty is Gross, but also really awesome because I have uh, a child with a vulva, a vagina, ovaries, all that fun stuff. Uh, I really love the Vaginas and Periods 101 pop-up book. That That is fantastic. Anything by Roby Harris, I'm always all for. Maybe It's Perfectly Normal would be the one to get to really start getting into puberty. And my site actually has a database that you can filter by age and whatnot to find different types of resources like books and podcasts and hands-on tools. It's just, there's so much out there and I'm so grateful because it means that we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to know all of the things. And that's great because oftentimes because of the lackluster state of sex education we received when we were young, we don't have the answers. We don't have all the answers. That's okay. We can, yeah. we can go looking for the answers together. Yeah. And I will remind our listeners too, I created the talk puberty app and that's an app that you, there's sections on it specifically for all children, for what most boys experience, most girls, there's open-ended questions on there. There's a section for that. So it it's just a question in which you then answer it and your, your young person can also answer it. So it, it helps support the conversation. And on the app for the other sections, it's a simple question with an age and developmentally appropriate answer. So it actually can help lead your conversations about this. 
because there are so many tools. That's one of them. Steph just mentioned a whole bunch. And Steph, what's the website that people can find the list of resources that you just referred to? What is your website? GorillaSexEd.org. Do you mind spelling that out for us? Sure. G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A-S-E-X-E-D.org. Wonderful. (laughs) And do you have any last words of advice or any comments you want to make as we conclude today's episode? So whether you're a a kid or an adult, the most looming question I found never seems to change. It's, you know, am I normal? And I just want people to know that, yes, they are normal and they are not the only ones grappling with the thing they are grappling with. For kids, especially all of your peers, they're in it too. Parents, don't shy away from these conversations. You want to be the person your kids come to with these questions, even if you have to look for the answers together. And, you know, as a mom, I know that these conversations can be incredibly awkward. I mean, I've been writing about sex for over 20 years now, and I still need to catch my breath (laughs) with some of the questions that my child asks me, but it's so worth it to be that person for them. I, I want so badly for my child to grow up into someone who feels comfortable and safe in her body and who has ownership over her body and who knows that she deserves to feel good in her body. And I know that I can't necessarily rely on anyone else to ensure that she feels that way and that she becomes that person. So kudos to all of you who are listening to this podcast, because I think that means that you are trying to be that person. So, so yay for us all and Godspeed to us all. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Steph. And again, this is Steph Arteri. Thank you, Steph Arteri, for being here today. And I will make sure that we have a link in today's episode's description. So if you want to reach out to Steph, please do check out her website and see those resources that are available to people of all ages there. Feel free to reach out to me at pubertyprof.com and check out Steph's book, A Dirty Word. You can also check out my book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. So thank you all for listening in. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.